Falling in love can be a wonderful thing. Or a deadly thing. Daniel Rakowitz would live his whole life short of cash. Then he would meet a wonderful woman who would move into his apartment and help him pay for it. And all that Daniel would bring to the table was brain soup. Hey guys, and welcome back to my podcast. I'm your host, Lulu, and it's great to talk to everybody again. I missed you all. Um, You guys, it has been a crazy day for us. We had over 200 people listen to us today, so that is insane. I had brought up maybe like letting all your friends that listen to true crime know so we could hit 10,000 before the end of the year, and you guys have like knocked it out of the park already. Like we have had a ton of new people, and... Thank you guys, because I know it's you guys. You guys are the reason that people find us here is word of mouth, and that is amazing. So thank you. That's pretty crazy. I'm super excited, and it really is looking like we're going to hit that 10,000 because, I mean, we have less than 1,000 listens before the end of the year to hit that number, so that's insane. Confessed Obsessed is only a little bit over a year old. It's probably about a year and a half old at this point. And to see my numbers the way they've been is just crazy. So thank you guys. Anyways, we don't need to be all mushy-gushy forever. So I just wanted to say thank you. And that's awesome. Um, How's your week been? Mine's been, it's been all right. I wasn't feeling very good yesterday. So I couldn't get out here to record yesterday. Um, And that's why we're recording today on Sunday, right before it goes up. My back was just really hurting me, and it does that sometimes, so, but it's feeling much better today, and now we're here. I've got my Pepsi, because, you know, I'm a, I'm a basic-ass bitch, and we're ready to record. Today is going to be the last episode of our Furious Feasters. Technically, Thanksgiving is over, but I dedicated basically this entire month to Furious Feasters, so we have one more to share with you guys. This one's really interesting, actually. It is called The Butcher of Tompkins Square. I've never heard of it before, like some of our other ones we've talked about, and it's really cool to talk about. It's really interesting. There's a lot of gray area in this one where things could have happened, things couldn't have happened, but we'll get into that as we get into the story. Anyways, I also wanted to let you guys know, um, basically the whole studio's done. I have one light in my backdrop that needs to be fixed. Um, My husband, who was an electrician, wired it too long and he just hasn't come out here and fixed it so that's why I haven't posted it because I feel like that light looks real weird and I don't want anybody to come after me about it but I did feel like the back of it was just really empty and I have some ideas in the future of what we're gonna do but I got this really cool idea for like almost like a 3d painting that I'm gonna do and put it behind me um if you guys don't know I am an artist um and I do like to paint and stuff so uh The plan is to start that today. Um, I am going to probably take little videos here and there um, and maybe upload them eventually to my TikTok. I'll let you guys know when that is. But yeah, I'm really excited for it and I think you guys would really love the piece. Anyways, just wanted to give that kind of a heads up. I know I didn't post it on the TikTok yet and it's basically done, but that light bothers me so much and I can't get myself to take a video of it until that light is fixed. Anyways, let's go ahead and get into today's episode. 
Today's story is about Daniel Rakowitz. Now, Daniel was born in Missouri in 1960. His father was a criminal investigator and he worked for the U.S. Army. During this time, like many people who have army family members, they would move a lot from place to place, and later down the line, they settled down in Texas. Now, this is where Daniel would attend and finish high school, and then afterwards, he decided he wanted to enlist in the army and become a rifleman. He would begin this process by going to a 14-week army law enforcement school. He did complete this and would be discharged. Once he was discharged, he applied for a job as a deputy to work with his father, but they did end up turning him down. Now, I can't find out why they turned him down, but this just sort of was a blow to Daniel because he wanted to do this his whole life. He would begin to search for what he wanted to do with his life now, and interestingly enough, he settled down and became a drug dealer. Most of his drug dealing, though, was with marijuana, but it does sound like he did sell the occasional cocaine and things like that. At this point, Daniel was an adult, and he would move to New York. This is where he would bounce from couch to couch because he didn't have a lot of cash, as I said in the beginning. He didn't have enough money for his own apartment, and he barely had enough money to make ends meet. Finally, though, he settled in a home with one of his friends. This was their apartment. And this friend was in a relationship with her husband. Now, it seemed like right as Daniel moved in, her and her husband began to have fight after fight after fight. Their relationship eventually turned south and he would move out, leaving Daniel and his friend in the apartment. She decided that she didn't want to afford this apartment anymore. She didn't want to stay here alone and in turn would hand the apartment over to Daniel. But Daniel couldn't afford the apartment, especially not alone. This is the point where Daniel decided to begin to look for a roommate. Um, Of course, not a lot of people wanted to move in with this man. Nobody knew him. And in this search, he also came up with his own religion that he decided was his only truth. Now, he would name this religion the Church of 966. And every day he was adding more and more to it. And he felt like this was the only right way. Now, in his search, Daniel would meet a woman named Monica Burley. I hope that's how you say her name. She had just moved to the area and she was looking for a place to stay. He actually cleaned the apartment from top to bottom to show it to her because he seemed to like her. It sounds like this was out of the ordinary for Daniel because he didn't usually clean up after himself, but he really hoped that she would move in. She looked around this apartment and she did decide to move in. This old roommate though that had moved out warned him that she believed that this woman only wanted to move in for the apartment. And then it seemed like they got into a relationship. This part is a little... It's one of those facts that's a little bit, you know, fuzzy. Some places say they weren't actually in a relationship. Other places say that they were in a relationship. Some, though, do state that not only did Daniel say they were in a relationship, but Monica also said they were in a relationship and his friends had come over after they had, like, had sex and stuff like that and they, like, made it very clear. 
but I did want to make you guys know that in a lot of my other sources, it states that that is a false piece of information and they were never in a relationship. If they were in a relationship though, his old roommate said that she felt like this, them being in a relationship, was only so that Monica could take this apartment out from underneath Daniel and kick him out. Now let's talk about Monica a little bit. Monica was a dancer at Billy's Topless. This was a pretty easy job for her to get, it sounds like, because not a lot of people wanted to dance at a topless bar. But as soon as she got it, she realized that she had no place to stay. She didn't think she could afford a lot of the places that were open. And when she met Daniel and he said he needed a roommate, she accepted him with open arms because she needed a place to stay. Now, as soon as she moved in, it was very clear that life with Daniel was weird. Daniel could only cover about half of the rent. And sometimes he would come home with a ton of food. We have no idea how he bought that food because he couldn't pay for his rent. And he would cook all of this food up for the homeless. Once it was done, he would hand it out himself to the people on the street. But Daniel had been homeless at one point. People believed that he was trying to make the homeless people feel better about what they were going through and that it was going to get better since Daniel himself had been homeless. He understood the struggles and he knew how to make their day with just a piping hot bowl of soup. So him buying the food and coming up with that money, that was the strange thing. But it just gets a little bit weirder. Daniel also brought a rooster in and some cats into the apartment. The cats didn't do much and the rooster just cawed all day and all night. His roommate, that old one that had a, her relationship end in, in the apartment, would complain about this rooster to him and Daniel would just put a sock over its head and the rooster would literally stop moving. He basically put it in a trance to shut it up. Now I'm a chicken woman and I absolutely love having my chickens and if I could, they probably would live in my house too. But I can see how this would be weird because we got chickens, one, because I love animals, and two, because we wanted their eggs. It seems strange to me to have a pet rooster, but I can see how, you know, if you love the animal, you love it because I love my chickens and some people think that's weird. And if that wasn't weird enough, Daniel would begin to babble at them. I say babble because he would go off on these religious trips over and over and over again. Out of the blue, he would begin to preach, preach his religion, trying to get people to understand what he believed. Most of the time, though, if somebody said that they weren't interested in hearing it or they were not interested in joining, he would stop talking and not bring it back up. But not all the time. Usually when he ended these religious babbles, he would end it with saying something along the lines of, I am the Lord of the Lord and leave it alone. If he wasn't religious babbling, he was babbling about becoming the president. He would babble about all of his followers coming and joining and rising up and taking over with him. He just babbled a lot about one thing after another, and this led his roommate to believe that Daniel was a full-blown nutjob. They eventually just let him go off on his rambles. They would sort of ignore it unless he started really going heavy in with this religious babbling, and then they just said, hey, we don't need to believe it. We don't need to believe what you believe in, and it's okay, and then he would stop. 
Then the fits of rage started. This would lead his roommates to tread so carefully around him and watch what they said because they never knew at this point if he was going to shut up on his religious babble or if he was going to get violent and hurt somebody. A lot of this happened with the old roommates and you can see how bringing somebody like this into into a home can be stressful on a relationship. And when they moved out, you know, things got better. I don't know when their relationship, but just uh, in their day-to-day life. But when Monica moved in, things didn't get better. They were about the same. And one way or another, whether that's because he was straight up babbling crazy talking to Monica all the time, or she didn't want the apartment to herself, Monica decided that she wanted him out. So she sat him down and informed him that she was kicking him out. And if they were in any sort of relationship, she also informed him that she was leaving him as well. Of course, Daniel did not take this well. He snapped. A massive fight would break out between the two of them, where they were yelling and screaming, and Monica just screamed that she wanted him out. She was done with him. And then Daniel would grab a metal pipe. In his fit of rage, Daniel would smash the metal pipe across her throat. Monica would crumple to the ground, and when Daniel would look at her a little closer, he realized that he had killed her. Instead of doing the normal thing that a human being will do, which is call the police and explain to them that it was a fight gone wrong, and maybe get, you know, a fine, spend some time in jail, whatever, Daniel would scoop her body up and carry her dead body into the bathroom. He laid her in the bathtub and would go on to stab her multiple times. I saw in some of my sources that this was up to 30 times after she was already dead. Then he would drain her blood and he would begin to dismember her body. Now this wasn't a quick process. Daniel had to drain the blood. He had to start to cut the pieces off. He also had to run to the hardware store and buy pieces to cut through the bone and to really get her dismantled. And it sounds like, you guys, the neighbors knew. It sounds like the neighbors knew that Daniel had murdered somebody and was in the process of dismembering them. He wasn't hiding it. I mean, God, apparently he was walking around telling people about it. He was bragging openly about what happened to Monica and what he had done. But nobody called the police. They just let Daniel dismember her body in his apartment. When he was done cutting her up and prepping her, he would place her body on the stove and cook her. The apartment would fill with the aroma of human soup, and even one of his friends ended up stopping by. This friend literally would see her head in a pot. They would listen to him ramble about his religion and about what had happened, and they still didn't go to the police. When her head was done boiling, he would pull it from the hot water. Daniel would sit down and peel all of the skin and hair from the skull until it was just bone. He would then go and taste the head soup. And he felt like it was really good. I mean, even the brain that he had used to season the soup. Man, it was delicious. And he wanted to share it with his homeless friends. 
He would do the same thing that he had done many, many other times and make bowls of Monica soup and walk them out piping hot to the homeless. I am unsure as to how many people ate it, but it sounds like he handed out a ton of the soup. At the same time, Daniel would share his story to the homeless, share his religion, and then, whether they were eating it or hadn't eaten it yet, he would begin to tell them what happened to Monica and what was in the soup. He explained to everybody how he had murdered her, dismembered her, and made a delicious soup, referring to himself as a cannibal, and then telling them how he had made and shared that soup with them because it was so tasty, he needed to share it. At least one of these people, thank God, who either had eaten the soup or was handed the soup and heard the story, would go to the police. The police took this very seriously and rushed to where Daniel was handing out bowls of Monica soup. And they promptly arrested him. Then their work began to investigate and make sure that this was true. Right off the bat, Daniel admitted to the murder and the soup making. That made it very easy to charge him with, but they needed to find Monica. Daniel also told them that in the bus terminal storage area, he had something to show them. He would take them, the officers who were actively arresting him, to the bus terminal and pull out Monica's cleaned up skull and teeth that he had extracted and hand them to the police. It was very, very clear that Daniel had murdered somebody. But even with his very quick confession, it would take the authorities over a month to figure out what happened to Monica. And honestly, you guys, we still don't know how true it all is because Daniel isn't mentally stable. It does sound like that they believe others were possibly involved in the murder of Monica, but they can't be sure of this. From what they have been able to gather from Daniel and kind of looking at the scene was that the two of them did get into a fight. Monica was kicking him out, and in a fit of rage, Daniel would hit Monica in the throat and kill her. It is possible that her original death from being hit in the throat was an accident. But everything after that was not. Daniel carried her to the bathroom, stabbed her already dead body multiple times with a carving knife, which they knew happened because they could conclude that with an autopsy. Then he cut her up, put her in the bathtub until the remains were diced up enough that he could cook them. Then he created soup with her body. Now, of course, they heard about the homeless people eating her. Um, this was a rumor and they began to look into it. It sounds like this is also one of those fuzzy details that they couldn't prove or disprove. A lot of people shared how he did give them soup made of her, but Daniel himself would deny this. He would say that he was handing out normal soup to the homeless people that day and that he was the only one who had ever eaten Monica's soup but it wouldn't be out of the ordinary for him to hand out Monica soup since he did hand out soup often. They did 
talk to some of the homeless people who were part of this rumor and they did say that Daniel told them about the murder and the soup. One man claims that he even found a human fingertip inside of his soup and had immediately stopped eating because he knew he was eating human stew. So it's one of those things where we're unsure if Daniel gave out Monica's soup or if he kept it to himself. This is one of those instances that I hope that Daniel was, you know, selfish enough to keep it for himself. Finally, they were able to charge Daniel. They found Daniel guilty by reason of insanity of the murder of Monica Burley on February 22nd, 1991. It took nine days of deliberation for the courts to decide he was insane. Even though they knew he had murdered, eaten, and possibly shared her cooked body with people, he was found guilty on reason of insanity. Because of this, he would remain at a mental hospital for the rest of his life, even after his prison stay. They did say that they didn't feel like he meant to murder Monica that day. They did feel like it was an accident. But once she was dead, nothing stopped him from making human stew from her body and sharing it. Later down the line, Daniel attempted to get out of the mental hospital. His ex-wife, actually, because he had been married before, came forwards and told them how she was only 14 when she got married to Daniel. And Daniel would apparently chain her up to the fridge while he went and worked. He also bragged about horrendous things that he did, like decapitating a dog, using a screwdriver to take out a woman's eyeballs, and strangling a sex worker to his ex-wife. She did this in an attempt to keep Daniel in the hospital for as long as possible because he was not well enough to leave. The director of the mental hospital would even talk about how he had tried to make himself the one in control. He would do everything he could to gain controlling power over people. For example, Daniel liked to collect newspapers, all of the newspapers in the mental hospital, and he would hide them from everybody unless he felt like you were deserving of reading the paper. Then he would go to his stash and hand you a paper. He was the one in charge of the paper, of making sure that the people who were deemed responsible enough could read the paper. After hearing all of this and talking to Daniel themselves, they still deemed him as mentally unstable and a pathological liar. Because of this, even though they didn't think he was a danger, they don't think that he would be safe out on his own. Therefore, he's been denied of any chance to get out of the mental hospital and should remain there for the rest of his life. The reason we have a lot of fuzzy details is because Daniel has changed his story multiple times. Sometimes he says he was responsible for it all. He did it all. Other times he would claim he was only responsible with dismembering and disposing of the body. Sometimes he would talk about how there was others involved. And other times he would say he took the fall for someone else and never touched Monica. There are people who do believe that Daniel was part of a cult and that this cult decided that they were all going to murder Monica in a ritual. And when they got caught, 
Daniel was responsible for taking the fall for it. For whatever reason, Daniel Rakowitz would murder and kill his roommate and possibly former girlfriend, Monica Burley. He then chose to cook her up, make a delicious soup with her body, and share this creation with the homeless. It makes you wonder this Thanksgiving. What if one of your relatives had cut someone up and used their body to season the turkey you ate? Or maybe that ham that tasted oh so sweet was a little more human. Can you really trust the cooking of a stranger? And can you really trust the cooking of a family member? There may be false or misleading information throughout this podcast. All facts have been researched to the best of my abilities, but accidents do happen. If this is a story you are interested in knowing more about, I highly recommend doing your own research. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.